Welcome to Let's Talk Transportation, a podcast series of the Broward Metropolitan Planning Organization, also known as the MPF. We talk about the ins and outs of transportation in Broward County and all of Southeast Florida, why it matters, how it works, and the challenges and opportunities related to achieving great transportation. I'm your host, Greg Stewart, Executive Director of the MPF, and I'm joined by... Tony Abate, professor at the School of Architecture at Florida Atlantic University. And Tony's being completely modest. He's been working with the Broward MPO for a good couple of decades now and is a longtime resident of Broward County. In fact, like myself, uh, we both grew up down here. And Tony, I welcome you on the show. You've produced a bunch of wonderful uh, students over the years coming out of Florida Atlantic University. And in fact, several of them still work for me today. So, uh, you know, it's bringing people and making things happen, I think, is one of the things that I really uh, prize our relationship. Speaking of, let me uh, start at the beginning. You grew up down here. You want to talk about what it was like? I was actually born here. Um, and, and, and as I think about it, uh, the community has changed so dramatically over the period of time. Um, I would say since the early 60s, which was my childhood, uh, born in, in Fort Lauderdale, uh, migrated to plantation uh, in my early uh, elementary school days. And back then, uh, the city of Plantation, which is a suburban community outside of Greater Fort Lauderdale, uh, was fairly new. I, mean, I think it was founded in the late 50s, and we moved there in 1964. And my, re- my childhood recollections are mainly... Uh, <laughs> Back then, it was pretty common. When you came home from school, you would do your homework, and then mom would kick you out of the house and so she could watch her soap operas and cook dinner, and then you wouldn't come home until dinner time. So we had all the afternoons to explore the forest, the woods, the development sites, these vast stretches of land with uh, paved roads, cul-de-sacs, and no buildings. So it was perfect for riding your stingray, uh, exploring uh, getting in your b- little Boston whaler on the canals, fishing. Uh, the childhood in, 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 in South Florida really had a lot to do with the outdoors and uh, and sort of the sense of freedom that we had as children, um, exploring on foot, on bike, on boat, um, our community. And we used to get on the boat and go all the way pretty much to the intercoastal and back using the canals. Uh, we get on our bikes. Um, and if, as time progressed and the city developed, particularly in the 70s, in the mid-70s, with redevelopment downtown uh, and urban redevelopment and had a huge impact in, 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 in our downtown communities and surrounding communities. Um, I remember writing a paper in high school. I was pretty saddened by the fact that they were, you know, burying the canals and widening the roads and redeveloping and, and began this process of what I call the erasure of my, of my the physical history yeah. of my growing up here. I mean, every place that I remember significant, including homecoming, uh, has been torn down and replaced with something new. So one thing that I would say about this area, Fort Lauderdale, Greater Fort Lauderdale, it's, it's a constant renewal. And in that sense, it's quintessentially modern. It's, it's constantly being updated. It's, it, it's never static. And, and that's actually one of those things that it's hard for people to understand um, that didn't grow up here, that aren't 
born here. Uh, I look at things, I go out to your plantation every once in a while, <laughs> and I remember cattle, and I, re I still see it, even though there's malls and apartment buildings and shopping centers. And I remember the roads that, you know, you mentioned it, you know, for those of you who are listening in, uh, you know, basically Southeast Florida was just a two lane road, a drainage canal on one side, sometimes both sides, no guardrails and no lighting. And uh, it was a place that was actually kind of magical, you know, where you were outside all the time. And, you know, they did erase it and they did change it. Is that what got you into architecture and design and urban planning? Or? Well, it got me interested in the city. We've transitioned from an agricultural economy to where we are today. And um, and that whole experience of, of the outdoors uh, really plays into it. It was, was a big attractor for most people. Right. Um, but but I, I think that 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 my interest in, in design um, of the city sort of began with those those issues. Um, architecture um, specifically had to do mainly with um, my just fascination with buildings in general and making things. Uh, but by extension, design uh, goes beyond just architecture, beyond just city design or landscape architecture. Um, you know, I've come to learn over the years, particularly in my graduate uh, days at the university um, and after that, um, that design actually takes place in city halls and in MPO uh, boardrooms uh, where you have elected officials making decisions. Whether they realize it or not, those are design decisions. Right. And I think uh, my fascination with it is running into people who know that they're making design decisions and then there are those who don't know they're making design decisions and i've run into some very interesting people over the years um enrique peñalosa the former mayor of bogota fascinating guy who clearly understood um how uh the decisions he was making were design decisions right and i think this is an important aspect of of change and how we shape the future so the whole idea that design is coming from places that you don't have people professionally trained or aware that that's happening. As a child, for me, growing up down here, um, you know, not only did I watch shopping centers get built and the roads get widened like you're describing, but then there was this other aspect that I did that I didn't understand how it was going to affect my career in the future was I would actually design streets and neighborhoods and parks and schools. And my family kept on telling me, hey, Greg, you should be an architect. And that's what you should go and do, because they thought what I was doing was architecture. So when was it that you understood that the design of the building then extrapolated into the design of a city, which then drove to that urban planning type conversation. It's interesting. Um, I've always been interested in, in, my dad was in construction and he would take us to construction sites and, and we met architects and it was drilled into me, you're going to be an architect. And I've, I've resisted it. Um, I, but I, on my spare time, I would be drawing and building models. In fact, I think Greg, you and I talked about our fascination with cities. I, sh I shared with you a drawing I did in 1971. I think I was a freshman in high school where I just drew a city, a, a, a two-point perspective of an entire city. Um, 
in such detail that even now I think about it, like drawing the cobra head lights on every light pole and the wires strung. Uh, imagine this, like drawing maybe 20 inches wide where every detail is shown. Um, is, it was basically an encapsulation of everything I knew about cities, um, historically, uh, as well as contemporary cities. And it was kind of this hybrid city of combining Fort Lauderdale with I don't even know places I had visited as a child with mountains and castles and uh, it was fascinating. The, 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 just for <laughs> the, everyone listening, one of the there was a, a beautiful fort that was actually in it, and I'm like looking at it going, if if we had this type of history here, it was very rich. By the way, it, fantasy Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, it was a, existed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, <laughs> a big stone fort. Yeah. It would be a really wonderful book cover for a holistic history of what you saw as a kid growing up here. Yeah. I mean, because that's, I mean, not for nothing, the fantasy of Fort Lauderdale, and that goes back to, you know, it's constantly recreating itself. And I think that that actually is an aspect of growing up here. Yeah. Because we, it was a fantasy. I mean, the Cape Hawk Tree Inn, um, I don't know if you ever traveled out there with your that. parents, yeah. but uh, I used to go out there. We used to go often. And that was a, a complete fantasy. I remember when it was under construction and they're putting the balcony of the maidens from Greece, you know, from <laughs> Athens, from the Parthenon, out in this restaurant in the middle of nowhere. Right. I mean, you know, what, what type of place is this? It was amazing. And Maikai, of course, was, a, oh. was another fantasy place. And I think there was so much to stir the imagination as a child and the idea that you can imagine places uh, as much as you can respond to places, I think, is, is I think what led me to design and the idea that you can actually imagine places and then realize them. Yeah. So that's that's kind of fascinating. Um, but, you know, as, as you go through these processes, um, you realize there's a huge and heavy responsibility with imagining places that become realized. <laughs> Let's actually talk about you did a couple of things for the MPO years ago. And one was our transit housing oriented redevelopment program uh, for for those of you who like the hammer of 25 years. Ago. Yeah. And then there was also, um, what was it? Um, tropical urbanism. Yep. Subtropical. Yeah. Subtropical urbanism. So let's, let's talk about the housing. Well, let's first talk about tropical urbanism and then we'll subtropical sure. and then we'll get into um, the subtropical, um, sustainable urbanism really came from a, a project we did prior to that, Greg, it was with the, uh, Broward County planning division, um, the Broward County countywide community design guidebook. And uh, I remember the charge came from uh, Commissioner Lori Parrish. Uh, this was about creating a sense of place. I don't know what that is, but I know it when I see it. And uh, you know, that was a really interesting charge and fascinating. Um, and in my research, we had assembled a team to put this together and it was very comprehensive, maybe too comprehensive. Uh, but in my research, I found that the sense of place is inextricably tied to the climate. Huh? And um, we talk about our childhood and growing up, and it was a climate that made that happen, being able to run outside and, you know, the whole idea that, that and when you think about cities, buildings and cities, um, they've adapted to their climate zone. So what makes Boston different from Denver, different from Miami, different from LA, uh, historically has been their adaptation of the buildings and the city plan 
or for climate. Whether the streets are wide or narrow has to do with how much sunlight or shade you want to encourage. And the way we used to build cities was really adapted to climate. So that idea was infused throughout the guidebook and it, it sort of developed into this idea of subtropical sustainable, that in order to be, in order to envision a, a sustainable future, we need to think about the climate, but we also need to think about the changing climate. Right. So um, as we think about the city and redesigning the city yet again, um, let's think about the future climate. And so when we did Thor, it was kind of an experiment uh, in terms of, okay, let's combine this idea of the climate sensitive design with a transit orientation, which again, another huge factor in the character of cities other than climate is the transportation system. And I learned that from reading um, uh, um, Alex Marshall's book, How Cities Work. Really fun, simple book to read. He was a journalist, so he knows how to write. Um, and How Cities Work uh, really kind of consolidated my thinking. And as an architect, it was kind of hard to accept the fact that our buildings aren't really the major definers of cities. I mean, we like <laughs> to think that the architecture drives that. But what really shapes the character of cities is a transportation system. Right. Um, you think about Paris and you think about New York and you think about LA and Miami, the, the difference in character of those cities is driven by the fact that in Paris you get around on foot and in a subway system that is highly efficient. Uh, same with New York. Whereas in Miami, let's face it, the real way of getting around is by car. And then you think about, well, how did that happen? Well, these were all choices made, political decisions um, over time and reinforced. And uh, so it's fascinating to read that and to understand that transportation is really a huge driving character uh, for cities. But looking at Miami, and I kind of that's a that's a funny statement because uh, a group of us from the office here went down to Miami the other day. We took uh, the more expensive train. We took Brightline down and then got on Metro Mover. And we were supposed to meet at the James L. Knight Center. And so we dropped down from the elevator off of the Metro Mover and onto a sidewalk that ended that then became a little road that went into a, a truck parking area. And then we kind of figured, well, this isn't where we're supposed to be. So it took another 20 minutes of walking around trying to figure our way. And it was just a simple, like, well, the sidewalk wasn't put in and there was no signage. And so we thought of the system and it's a nice system. I mean, the Metro Mover is a really wonderful way of getting around downtown Miami. But in the end, it's like, well, I needed to go somewhere. And it didn't actually take me to where I needed to go. Right. And it didn't provide that design side. And that's really back to the transportation that system. That happens all over South Florida. Yeah. And so how we deal with that, and that's what intrigued me about Thor, is that you started tying that urban design character of place to actually the corridors that were having transportation moving and then building housing on top of that, you know, taking the old shopping centers and actually doing, you're going to start seeing that happen here in Broward. Ironically, I think, you know, your thinking is probably 20 to 30 years ahead of everybody. Yeah, I think, I, I hope it happens in Broward. I think part of the, part of the problem as I see it, um, the bigger problem is that, um, from a planning perspective, you can look at the maps and, and a planner will look at maps and they look at things at a certain scale and, and through a certain grain of, of reading, let's put it that way. And so, yeah, you look at a map and you see Brightline and Metro Mover and you see all the things around it and it's all there. 
you got it. You know, everything's there. Um, uh, but then from an, from a design standpoint, you've got the architects who are designing the buildings or the engineers that are designing the infrastructure. The missing element is the urban design. Mm-hmm. And the idea that, and urban design is an interesting field because it is uh, inherently collaborative and inherently broad in the sense that it fills the gaps. So it's, it's interesting because it's operating at the scale of a city or a block or a neighborhood, but it concerns itself with the details. Right. Those connections you're talking about, the gaps, the kind, the quality of being on that sidewalk and getting from A to B and making sure that getting from A to B is clear, simple, direct, and safe, uh, even attractive. And so the urban design element is the part that I feel uh, we have yet to recognize in, in a, in a, in a, or, or prioritize, let's put it that way. Um, we feel we get it done because it's there. Like I'm looking at, you know, out the window and we have a, a tri-rail station, right there. literally you can jump out the window and get there, but try walking there from here. Well, listeners, it's not a comfortable experience. It's not a comfortable experience. And so these are, these are what I try to teach my students. And the Thor experience was great because we work, we walked with the community. We walked the streets. We saw the gaps. We identified those, tar- those issues where the sidewalk ended or there was just no way to get from A to B. And those became the project. Right. Things. How do you design this? And, the how, and then once you get that design in place, you can support the housing development because the key to any any development is access. So whether you're accessing it with cars and you have the adequate parking and the facility to get there, it's the same thing with a sidewalk. If you want pedestrian orientation, you've got to improve the sidewalk facilities to get people to your project. Before we leave this podcast, and I'm going to have you come back because of lots of things that I'm going to be asking you over time, but uh, Broward is actually moving forward with the commuter rail services on the FEC. And one of the particular areas you identified with Thor was where a station is actually planned on going in, which is Oakland Park Boulevard and Dixie Highway. And in those designs, I don't know if I'm going to tax your memory here, but in those designs, you did a lot of shade canopy things that were necessary for a pedestrian environment. You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, Again, this goes back to growing up here, and it sounds silly, but um, I remember Jefferson's uh, department store on North Federal Highway. (laughs) Yeah, I do too. One of those projects, and and there were several that were actually designed. uh, I don't know if that one was, but uh, Searstown's another one, and there are others in in South Florida designed by Robert Law Weed, where this architect was a very well-known architect in the 50s, and he uh, designed... Uh, these shopping centers that were very automobile oriented because that was the the trend of the day modern shopping center but getting from the car to the big box or the store uh, he introduced these canopies these sort of uh, ribbons of concrete held up with columns or cantilevers some of them were really dramatic others were not um extending deep into the parking lot so you can park as far away from the store as possible just get under that canopy and walk undercover in the shade and i suspect that it was more than just about the shade it was also these afternoon thunderstorms where you come out with your goods and next thing you know you're drenched in like two seconds so again an example of designing for climate and if you're not going to make it comfortable for pedestrian but protecting them 
it, it's shade canopies. And the other thing, which not very many people noticed, is we were very attentive to um, the drainage of the streets and where the puddles occurred and where the drainage inlets were relative to bus stops. Because the other thing is the notorious situation, and I've been through it, where you're standing waiting for a bus and the car just drives by and you get completely drenched with not just water, but who knows what else is in that water. <laughs> um, and so these are negative uh, impacts on on the pedestrian experience. And so just designing, simple design uh, caring about these issues is going to make all the difference. I, I, I'm going to look forward to bringing you back on that. I do, that that splash zone made me think of something when I was a kid, I was about 16, 17, my mom lent me her car and I took my grandmother from her apartment in Pompano. She didn't drive. And we went down to Fort Lauderdale Beach and she wanted just to see young people. And it had just rained and it was at Sunrise Boulevard and A1A. And I had the windows down and we were heading back north and this giant car full of kids came by, spilled through this puddle. The water comes flying into her all over this poor woman. She was 89, 90-year-old woman, completely soaked in water from the street. And you go, and I remember her going, after it was all over with, she goes, somebody ought to do something about that. <laughs> and now I have this job. So, you know, there. that's what kind of I think is that impactful side of having grown up in a place. Tony, thank you for coming in today. I want to kind of bring you back and get some more conversations. We'll theme it. Uh, because I want to talk to you about climate change, its impacts, where you see uh, South Florida going into the future, and uh, you know some of the projects that you'd like to kind of call out and say, hey, this is something significant. Tony, thank you for coming. Thank you, Greg. The Let's Talk Transportation podcast is produced by the Broward MPO, where every day we fund and implement projects that move people and goods, create jobs, and strengthen communities. Learn more at BrowardMPO.org and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Speak Up Broward. If there is a transportation topic you'd like to know more about, let us know by sending an email to info at BrowardMPO.org. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance in the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by MPO employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of the MPO or any of its officials. For complaints, questions, or concerns about civil rights or non-discrimination, or for special requests under the Americans with Disabilities Act, please contact Carl Ema, Title VI Coordinator, at 954-876-0052 or emac at browardmpo.org.